Assalamu alaikum. This is Mo Alamgir, your host for the Islamic History 2020 podcast. This is the first podcast of the new year. So happy new year to everybody, all my listeners across the world. I hope that Christmas was a good time for you, whether you're um, celebrating Christmas from a religious festival or whether it's just a holiday season for you. I hope you enjoyed it and the new year. And we hope that this 2020 2021 is a better year for us. It's been really difficult. Remember, we've been in lockdown since March of last year. There's been restrictions on our movement, restrictions on our own freedoms. Businesses have had to operate differently. The way we socialize has changed. So hopefully 2021 will be a better year for us. And I hope that we do have health and faith and a long life to come. So... I'm excited because I've started my first podcast for the new year and I'm a bit of a um, scattergun really because I have a plan to talk about the Crusades and Richard the Lionheart, Eleanor of Aquitaine and all the way through to the Third Crusades but ultimately I read something else and I go off on one. And I was very fortunate to be gifted a book over Christmas. Obviously, as a Muslim, I don't celebrate, but I have a friends from um, the Catholic faith, and one of those friends gifted me a book which was about Islamic history from the perspective of 15 different cities which represent the 15 centuries of Islam. And one of those cities was Damascus. And I started to read about the Umayyad Mosque, and the great mosque of Damascus and it was really interesting so we are entering the new year with a new podcast about the great mosque of Damascus also known as the Umayyad mosque and I'm going to talk you through about the city I'm going to talk you through about the social environment and the demographics of the people and then I'm going to talk about the caliph and how the caliph built the mosque why he built the mosque and how he built the mosque it's all really interesting and i hope that you enjoy this podcast so damascus was in fact or is in fact one of the oldest and most ancient cities rivaled probably by jericho it was established i think 9th century bce by Aram, Aram Damascus and Aram Damascus conquered it and made it its capital um, it didn't last a long time and it was taken over by the Assyrians and what was left was the language which was Aramaic Aramaic is one of the languages of the Middle East or not the Middle East, the, the whole kind of Levant and that whole area around uh, Syria, Palestine and um, parts of Iraq, parts of Iran, I guess. Uh, so it's a very, very ancient language. And it, it, did, it did eventually become the main language of the Middle East. And in fact, I haven't verified this, but in fact, I believe that Isa, Jesus, peace be upon him, spoke Aramaic. And for about 600 years, it was the Roman, it was a Roman city. And as we know, Roman, Romans, the Byzantines, the Romans, uh, who later became the Byzantines, um, owned 
an empire across the east to the west. And so Damascus was part of the Roman Empire. At the time of um, Aram Damascus, there was a, a temple there dedicated to Hadad, the god of thunder. Later, when the Romans conquered, they were pagans originally, and that temple of Hadad got converted to a temple for Jupiter, their, their god. And then, when Romans became Christian, that same temple of Jupiter became a cathedral dedicated to John the Baptist. In Islam, Yahya salam. And you can see the uh, crossover there already. Yahya, John the Baptist. They're both revered in respective religions of Christianity and Islam. So how did they become a Muslim capital? How did they become Muslim? Well, as we know, after the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him, there were four rightly guided caliphs. Under those four rightly guided caliphs, the Islamic empire expanded humongously. And it was under one specific commander, probably the greatest commander in the history of all time. And that's not me speaking. As a Muslim, I'm very uh, one-sided. This is, this is non-Muslims. This is historians who have classed him as possibly the greatest commander ever known to man. His name was Khalid ibn Walid. And God willing, I will do a whole podcast on Khalid ibn Walid, but not today. He conquered Damascus in 634. Previously to that, as I said, he was part of the Byzantine uh, lands, the Roman lands. And so Damascus became enveloped into the, or Syria should I say, it became enveloped into the Muslim empire of the, of the time. And the Muslim empire spread across Egypt, across all of the Middle East, Iraq, parts of Iran, the Persian empire, the Sassanid empire started to become under the Muslim empire um, just after the, the taking, taking of Damascus. Uh, parts of Anatolia, Egypt, North Africa, it was all part of the Muslim lands. But it was of no great significance other than it was a tax-bearing um, city. And what I mean by tax is that when the Muslims entered and took over and conquered a land, they said, if you become Muslim, you'll be taxed as a Muslim, which is the national or the al-zakah, which is the taxed, tax ordained upon Muslims. But if you wish to remain in the city and you wish to remain on the religion that you are on, then you can pay an additional tax, which is called a jizya. That jizya means that you can live, you can work, you can farm, you can conduct business on the lands. You'll be under the protection of the Muslims because they own the land, but you pay the additional tax. So it was nothing more than a tax-bearing country or city. But this is where it gets really interesting for the Muslim, hist uh, for the Muslim perspective. Because as we know, I mentioned the four rightly guided caliphs. After the death of the Prophet, there was Abu Bakr, then there was Umar, then there was Uthman, and there was Ali. Peace be upon them all. This is where it gets interesting. The third caliph, Uthman, he was 
he had his rights and he had his wrongs. One of the wrongs, which is, you know, I can speak as a person looking back, but also this is documented. One of the things that he did was nepotism. He gave a lot of the positions of government, as I mentioned, the Islamic Empire is getting big now, and he gave the positions to the people of his own tribe, rather than give it to those who are best qualified. So it created a bit of, no, a lot of nepotism and also disgruntled um, population. And one of the governors he appointed in Syria was a governor called Muawiyah. He's a significant person in the early history of Islam. Peace be upon him. He was also a Sahaba, a companion of the Prophet. So he had given the position of governor of Syria to Muawiyah, his cousin. Uthman, due to these faults, was assassinated. And the, assass the, the killers of Uthman, peace be upon him, were supporters of Ali, the next caliph. So when Ali became caliph, he chose to take a laxed approach to identifying and bringing to justice the murderers of Uthman. So Muawiyah, the cousin of Uthman, who's been murdered, had a problem with this. Ali, I am not going to give you, um, I'm not going to give you the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The I'm not going to support you, I'm not going to accept you as the caliph until you bring the murderers of my cousin Uthman to justice, which was a fair, valid point. What a lot of Muslims might not know is that they were, it led to a huge battle, a really big one. A big one not in the size in terms of significance because it was part of the first fitna. Fitna means the struggle or the strife. It was part of the first strife. The camel, battle of the camel. Where Aisha, radiallahu anhu, that means peace be upon her, the, the wife of the Prophet fought Ali. For those who don't know it, that's right. Ali and Aisha, radiallahu, peace be upon both of them, had a battle. And it was over bringing the murderers of Uthman to justice. So anyway, we won't go into the Battle of the Camel, but in fact it's in my long-term plan to do a discussion of the podcast on the Battle of the Camel. But as you can see, it's got quite complicated now. The Islamic Empire is being ruled from Mecca and Medina, mainly Medina and then Mecca. However, there's a bit of internal civil strife between Ali, the Caliph, and Muawiyah, who is the governor of Syria. So much so, the wife of the Prophet takes up arms and goes to battle Ali. Anyway, Ali was assassinated by the Khawarij. I'm not going to get into why, but he was assassinated by the Khawarij. His grandson, uh, the grandson of the Prophet, the son of Ali, Hassan, peace be upon him, and Muawiyah battled for the Caliphate. Hassan, who was the son of Ali and the grandson of the Prophet, peace be upon him, conceded. He said, I don't even want to be in a leadership position. I don't want to be in politics. Muawiyah, you can take the caliphate. And there was more to it. 
but we won't get into it. So Muawiyah has now become the caliph of the entire Muslim empire. He was the governor of Syria and he had been for a good 15-20 years and as a result had a strong loyal army which was trained actually, it was a trained army and more importantly like the, the, the people of the population of Syria were loyal to him. The population wasn't Muslim, remember, these are, these are, the, these are the local people, this, the, and we'll go into that in a moment, but they were loyal to uh, Muawiyah, so he kept his uh, governorship and he kept the uh, caliphate being run from Damascus. So that's why the Muslims kind of ended up in Damascus, and why Damascus was a, a, scene, a very important city, and Syria was an important country to the Muslim, early Muslim empire because of Muawiyah. Muawiyah had an expansionist policy, which meant he would go out and raid the Byzantines, raid the, um, not raid, um, raiding means just like, you know, attacks. He would, he would fight the Byzantines. He would fight the uh, Sassanids, the Persians. He would fight um, um, the Africans and take the lands accordingly and grow the lands, so like grow the empire. And when he died, he did something which is highly frowned upon and disgusted um, and almost disgusting to the Muslims. He named the next caliph. Up until this point, the caliph was, when the caliph died, the next caliph was appointed by mutual discussion of the leaders and the elders in the Muslim empire or the community. He said, before I died, before I die, I'm naming my son Yazid as the caliph. It wasn't a problem. Well, that was a problem. But it might not have been a problem if had Yazid been a good, pious Muslim. He was known for drunkenness. He was known for partying with women. He was known for being loose with women. He was not an ideal, exemplary Muslim. Furthermore, remember earlier I said, Hassan conceded and said, you know, Ali's son who was rightly, could have been rightly, um, who could have been a, a caliph. He said, I don't even want to be a caliph. Well, his son, sorry, his other son, his brother, Hussein, chose to actually overtake Yazid. He said, you know, my brother didn't want to be the caliph, but we can't have someone like Yazid running the Muslim empire from Damascus, and he's not even a, a, a good Muslim. So he took, he took a ragtag army, and he was on his way to Syria in order to fight um, Yazid, and he was met at Karbala, Karb, Karbala, Karbala, sorry, Karbala, um, by Yazid's military force. These are trained army personnel, and all of the Prophet's family, all of the men, all of the children, even the babies were executed. And that is a great, great shame. And that's part of where the Shia-Sunni divide comes from, um, part of, it's very political. So Yazid is not a very liked person, bit of information for you. After Yazid, there was Marwan II who took the caliphate. Then there was Abdul Malik, Hisham ibn Abdul Malik. Then there was Walid. And Walid is the focus of our podcast today. So you understand now the history of Damascus, how it was there a temple, an ancient city, a temple to Hadar, a temple to Jupiter, and then a cathedral to Yahya John the Baptist.
You understand in 634, Khalid ibn Walid, big man, bad man Khalid ibn Walid, the greatest military commander, took Damascus. And it came into the Muslim lands. You understand then Muawiyah um, was a governor there who then stepped forward as the caliph of the Muslim lands. And that's how Damascus, how Syria became super important to the Muslim empire. And how then um, Walid, the caliph we're going to talk about, why he's based in um why he's based in Syria, why he's based in Damascus and, and his information around that. Well, the city, when Walid was the, the, the caliph, was made up of Christians. All sects of Christianity, Catholics, Orthodox, Nestorians and Jacobites. Jacobites are the Syrian Orthodox also known as Syriacs. It was made up of Jews and it was made up of Zoroastrians. Muslims were the minority. They were the ones that conquered the land and the best way in order to keep a land that you just conquered um, up, not uprising, not rebelling and not having civil strife is to just keep things the same. You conquered the land, but the tax you pay is to the same tax collector. The tax is even less now because you've got the Jizya tax, which is less than the tax imposed by the Byzantines. So that's already in the, in the favor of the new owners of this country or the, or the old new or the new empire. You know, so this is how the, uh, the Muslims were viewed in Syria at the time. But Walid was different to the other caliphs. The other caliphs from the Rashidin ones, the Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman and Ali, all the way to uh, Hassan, Muawiyah, uh, Marwan, Abdul Malik, they were considered themselves as administrators to the Muslim empire. You know, God's rule and they are the facilitators of it. Yes, Walid the first was a little bit different. He in fact recognized that I in fact now rule this entire Islamic empire. I am rich beyond my ever comparisons. They were the rich, rich empire. It was so rich. And I'm actually a king. And I'm going to rule like a king. So he was the first of the Muslim um, caliphs to have coins minted with his face on it. He had a standing military army, the professional army, ready to go war and protect the empire. He changed. Up until then, the government would rule in the language of the natives. That could have been Aramaic, that could have been Greek, that could have been um, the local language. But he said the language of the government there onwards is Arabic. So you can understand that he started to recognize the empire being the imperial empire that it is and he's no more than a facilitator. During the um, succession from Marwan to Abdul Malik to um, Walid, there was, and, and of course, you know, the, the strife between Yazid and Hussein, there was a lot of civil war. I've, I've just mentioned it, you know, they've, 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 executed all of the grandchildren and the family and the and the warriors with uh, Hussein at Karbala 
So this huge, like recent civil war. And Walid recognized that the, the empire was actually divided. And he wanted to centralize things. He wanted to bring things in line. This is why the coin, coinage, you know, before, up until then, you could trade in Persian coins, you could trade in Roman coins, and even obscure coins. However, at, this, at the point of the coinage, all other coins in the empire were obsolete. You could only do business in coins with the face of the caliph on it. So as part of bringing the whole empire together, this centralization and internal policies, he commissioned the building of the Damascus Mosque. He recognized that no longer is Islam a small minority. No longer are they, you know, people out of the desert expanding the religion of Islam. They are actually ruling over a huge amount of space. Egypt, North Africa, Iran, Iraq, parts of the Byzantine land, parts of the Persian lands, Assassinids. So he recognized that there should be a show of power. A show of wealth. But the problem was Damascus had limited space. It's already been occupied for thousands of centuries, a thousand centuries before that. There wasn't much non-developed land inside. And the previous three caliphs also r recognized that because there was no mosque. Now you've got to remember the Muslims are the minority so there's not even that many Muslims praying. They don't need a mosque of grandeur. They just need a place of worship. So what they were traditionally doing for up until from Muawiyah all the way through to Walid was praying on an annexed bit of space from the central cathedral, um, the Cathedral of St. John. So they had an annexed bit of space on the days that, you know, the Muslims would pray. They would pray on that little bit of space. They didn't need a massive amount of space because there wasn't that many Muslims in Syria anyway at this point. But what all three previous caliphs from, from um, Muawiyah were trying to do was get the church, the Cathedral of St. George, and convert that into a mosque. But the, church, the Christians were... Up, up in arms about it. No, it's a Christian place. We won't give it up, etc., etc. So there's lots of negotiation going on for a good 30 years. But, you know, no one actually kind of like did anything about it. They tried to offer them money. They tried to negotiate, offer them alternative space, etc., etc. Christians were quite adamant that it wasn't going to happen. Well, that was up until Walid came onto the show. He offered the Christians a huge sum of money for the church. The Christians said no. In fact, what um, the Christians said was that I'm not, we're not selling it and whoever destroys this church will go mad. Well, what Walid said is that I'm going to strike the first strike with an axe because I'm taking this church. We are the imperial leaders of the Islamic Empire. We are running a huge empire from Damascus. And I am uh, seconding this church. I'm taking this church to convert into an imperial mosque. Into a mosque demonstrating the power and the wealth and the status of the Muslims in the Muslim Empire. 
in return I will return to you all of the churches all of the monasteries that have been taken by the Muslims or previously um, taken by the Muslims I'll return it back to you but I'm taking the church of St. John it didn't go down well with the uh, Syriac church it didn't go down with the, with the Christians Theopol Theopolis of Edessa another major Christian town at the time said the wretched man referring to Khalid uh, Walid sorry the wretched man Walid did it out of envy for the Christians the church was surpassingly beautiful so he's taken it Ibn Askari he is a, uh, a, Christ, a Muslim scholar Mr. Muslim historian of about the 11th century wrote that he what Walid did, and this is just fundamentally the reason why I'm doing this podcast, is when I read this letter, I thought, wow, let me read it out to you. Ibn Askir um, says that what Walid did was write to the Byzantine emperor. I'm not sure who it was. I haven't really looked into it that much. It was, it was going to be either Constantine or Leo, one of the two. The time frames from um, 715 to 725 is about that anyway. He said, O tyrant, he's referring to the Byzantine uh, emperor as O tyrant. That's how he starts his letter. Send me 200 skilled workers, for I wish to build a mosque, the like of which has never been built before, and the like of which will never be built again. If you do not comply, I will invade your country with my armies. I will destroy your churches, your monasteries and your monuments in my lands, including those in Jerusalem and Edessa. The Byzantine emperor did send 200 skilled workers. But what I really particularly found interesting was the way the, em the emperor was addressed. And this is why the podcast was done. I, I mean... Just 30 years back, these were just Arabs in tribal Arabs in the Middle East where nobody wanted to even invade. It was too hot and arid and there was deserts. 30 years on, he's writing to the, one of the most powerful empires of the time. Addressing him as old tyrant. Threatening him as to what he'll do should he not comply. And the emperor responding in the positive. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine um, a small band? I don't know, not even a small band, but I mean, can you imagine someone addressing the former president of the USA, um, Donald Trump? Oh, tyrant, send me 20, 200 of your best software engineers. I intend to build a IT solution. If you don't, I'll invade your lands. What would Trump do? Can you imagine someone writing to the president of France or the, pre, uh, the prime minister of um, the UK in such a way and not being ignored, ridiculed or actually invaded? Well, this is the power, the might and the wealth of the Muslim empire at that time, just 30 years after the death of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. So as a Muslim... This is why I do these podcasts, is to give the Muslims some recognition. Because at the moment, you know, bombard, not bombarding, but like, you know, Islamophobia is high. 
It's hard to be a Muslim with identity. It's hard to be Muslim and proud. You know, a lot of people hide their religion. I know they do because they're afraid of being a Muslim. But if you knew the power and the wealth and the status of the early Muslims, it would give you some pride. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that it's a good thing writing to the Byzantine emperor saying he's a tyrant, although he probably was. What I'm saying is that this is part of the Islamic history that should create a bit of a um, identity for young Muslims. And this is why I'm doing that podcast. Again, I'm just going off topic a little bit, but that's how we addressed him. And he did. And the project did bring together the empire, the Islamic empire. It had 12,000 workers working on the project, on the, on the building of the mosque. There was nothing like it before. There was absolutely nothing. The Isla Islamic empire had been on a uh, expansionist po policy of invading lands, taking lands, taking over cities, and then converting them to not Islam. They did not convert to Islam. There was no... They were, and this will surprise very many of the Muslim and non-Muslim um, listeners. There was not a mass conversion. In fact, that came about a hundred years later when the non-Muslims recognized it's actually better to be Muslim because you get taxed by the zakah, not the jizya, which is cheaper. So they became uh, Muslims and it affected the Muslim revenue because they're used to this huge amount of tax from the jizya. The jizya stops because it became zakah and all of a sudden the treasury is not as rich. Their policy was just to take over the land. It wasn't to convert. And so... Um, it's, it's, it's brought together all of the empires, got 12,000 workers on this huge imperial project, you know, this huge mosque. They brought together, you know, all of the Christians, all of the Zoroastrians, the, all the Jews. The cost of the project was four times the revenue from the treasury. It was, it was huge. It was stratus, I was going to say the word, I can't get it out. It was it was a huge expenditure from the Muslim side. It had never been done before. And what they created, the beauty, the size and the impact the mosque made was on a, such a scale that there had been nothing like it before. And even 14 in the 14th century, another 700 years later, Ibn Battua, the great Muslim uh, tra uh, traveler, he went to Damascus, he saw that mosque, and what he said is that I have traveled all around the Muslim world and I have not seen a mosque as beautiful as the Umayyad Mosque. And that's how much beauty there was. The outside was a huge forecourt made of white marble. It had mosaics decorated all across the pillars. All of the walls were decorated in beautiful geo geometric designs and of landscapes depicted from the Quran. In colours depicted in the Quran, green, blue, white. The walls inside were all white marble with red, beautiful carpet on the floor. There were rows. You should get a picture of this. There were rows and rows and rows of arches. Two sets of rows. Sorry, two, two rows of arches. I'm not sure how many, but arches all the way along the mosque holding up the, um, the roof. And that's what you would see. Those arches were decorated in mosaics. Leaving to the mihrab, which is the area where the imam leads from. It was 
a beautiful sight, a colossal sight which truly showed the power of the empire at the time. There are also reports that the original um, church, the reason they call it the Cathedral of the Church of St. John the Baptist was because the severed head of John the Baptist, Yahya alayhi salam, he's a prophet in Islam, and I think he might be a prophet also in uh, the Christian um, narrative, and his head was severed by the um, Roman Empire emperor at the time when he said that marrying your sister was haram, forbidden, illegal. And when he kind of went against the Roman Emperor, they had his head chopped off, and he was he was buried at the um, somewhere. And 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 the report is that there were reports that um, you know the workers reported back to Walid that they found a box which contained a head, which they believe is a head of Yahya John the Baptist, and so Walid asked for it to be reinterred under a column, and you can still go to see that column now. Um, so that's that's part of the history. It is also said that in, in Islam there will be a second coming of his, uh, Jesus, peace be upon him. I won't go into that right now, but it is said that he will descend at this mosque in Syria. At the time it became the fourth most holiest site in Islam. The other three being the first being Mecca, then Medina, the death birth, uh, the death place of the prophet peace be upon him the third being the dome of the rock in jerusalem and the fourth now being the mosque in damascus it's just worth noting that his father walid's father abdul rahman um it is abdul rahman um he had work constructed on the dome of the rock but the dome of the rock is not a place of worship Whereas this is a place of worship as a mosque, a communal center for Muslims, a place of where community activity can be con uh, conducted, where government business can be conducted and the, com uh, and the people have a, a place to worship. And it really did. It stood in the center of the Muslim world, world up until 750. That's when the Abbasids took the caliphate from the Umayyads, took control of the caliphate and they killed everybody all but one of the umayyads who were the the maids of the of the caliphs that are running the from muawiyah up until the last one that's the umayyads and the abbasids took the caliphate and had all of the um umayyad princes executed so they couldn't pick up their um caliphate again except for one whose name was abdul rahman um yeah it wasn't abdul rahman who built the um uh, dome of the rock is abdul malik sorry abdul rahman was the last of the Umayyad caliphs who managed to escape the execution and went to Andalusia, Cordoba in Spain and that's where he restarts the Umayyad dynasty there fighting the Visigoths. So anyway, it stayed at the center of the Muslim world up until then. In 1069, so we're fast forwarding through history just to give you a snapshot of what happened to this beautiful mosque. In 1069, the Berber uprising meant that a large proportion of the normal northern wall was damaged in a fire. So in 1068, sorry, 1078, um, good nine years later, the Seljuk Turks, the Seljuks are uh, own land, they're part of the dynasty, they created their own little dynasty there, they were nomadic nomadics from the Anatolian steep steps that took control of part of... Um, 
land and then they become the Saljuks. They repaired that northern wall. That led into the 1080s to the 1200s when the Crusades took place. And the D mosque of Damascus, the Umayyad mosque, was a rallying point for a lot of Muslims against the Crusaders. I've done a two-part um, podcast on Zengi. His son, Nur al-Din, he constructed a huge complex water clock and situated it at the Umayyad Mosque. When I say he constructed it, he didn't. He, he or, or, you know, authored the work. He asked for the work to be done and paid for it. So that mosque, I don't know if you can still see it there, but um, surely before the Syrian war, you could, you could, it was still there. That was at the time of the Crusades, up to about 1200. In 1260, Kitbuka, he's a Mongol warlord, along with the Crusaders, captured the city. And Bohemond VI ordered the Catholic Mass to be conducted at the Umayyad Mosque. Fortunately, though, the Mamluks, they recaptured it in the same year, returning it to the Muslim hands. Muslims will be very familiar with a, with a scholar, his name is Ibn Taymiyyah, specialist in the tafsir, uh, the meaning of the Quran. He taught at the Umayyad Mosque in 1285, and in 1400s, Tirmur, who was fighting the uh, Ottoman Empire, in the, the British or the, or the Western world might recognize him as Tamerlane. Tamerlane, because he was injured as a young fighter on his leg. His name was Timur, and they used to call him Timur the Lane, and over time he became Tamerlane. He fought the... Uh, the caliphate at the time in the 1400s has gone to the Ottoman Empire and he fought the Ottomans and um, in 1400 captured Damascus and razed it to the ground, burning pretty much everything in the city. Currently, in our day and age, in the 20th century, in the 21st century, it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. But it's seen as destruction through the civil war. The minarets which were put together. Um, the minarets, you know, um, the Abbasids when they captured the caliphate and took it back to Baghdad because they had a stronghold in Baghdad. And so as a result, the caliphates and the running of the empire went from Damascus to, to Baghdad. They, Abbasids, the Abbasid, um, the Abbasid caliphs, not sure which one. Um, they built minarets in on the church on the and the on the Umayyad mosque, and those uh, minarets earlier this year or last year, should I say, were brought down by shelling. It's a key battleground for those fighting the Assad regime. They use it as a place of siege. They use it as a place to rally the troops. The walls are riddled with bullet holes. This piled up rubble from you know the building collapsing around itself. Sandbags piled up, used as a defensive wall. It's gone. The, the beauty of this mosque 
the grandeur of this mosque has gone and I feel sad within myself because with the beauty of the mosque and the grandeur of the mosque has gone a part of the beauty and the, and the grandeur of Islam and we can't visit it anymore and we can't go to see what was left and what was created at the you know, not the zenith it wasn't even the zenith this was the early Muslims the zenith of the Muslim empire came possibly like Two and a half, two, 250 years later under the Abbasid Caliphs when the uh, House of Wisdom in Baghdad ha had been pumping out you know, intellectual pieces of work on mathemat mathematics just think of algebra that came from the Muslim world think of the camera that came from the Muslim world astronomy that came from the Muslim world medicine that came from the Muslim world the eyes the um, opt opticians, you know, um, the study of the eye, I can't think of the word, that came from the Muslim world. And in fact, the first detailed, uh, the first detailed uh, picture or the construction of the eye in, in pictured was from the Muslim world. There were three brothers, the, the Musa brothers. One of them calculated the circumference of the world and he had got it wrong by 348 kilometers. It was so accurate back then. So it wasn't even at the zenith, it wasn't even at the, at the highest point of the Muslim empire, but this mosque represented everything that the empire had at the early stages, just 30 years after the Muslims, uh, after the death of the prophet. So, so with the downfall of this, goes a part of our own identity as a Muslim. With the downfall of this, goes a part of that grandeur, that history of the early Muslims and what was achieved um, by those Muslims. And it, and it is really sad. Along with Baghdad, we just mentioned it, Baghdad was raised to the ground in 1200s by the Mongol warlords. Can't remember his name. I've done a podcast on it, haven't I? So again, you know, this history of Islam is being eradicated from our, um, from ourselves, partly by our own doings, and other times just, just by what happens around the world. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm probably, I'm going to go out on a bit of a, um, on a bit of a guess here, but I think it's accurate. I'm telling you stuff in my podcast, which you've never heard before, Muslim or non-Muslim. And the reason I'm telling you that is because, the reason I can say that is because Islamic history is not taught white, white mainstream. And when it is taught, it's got usually an agenda or it's got some propaganda associated with it, so not all of it is taught. So if Islamic history is not taught, and the signs of Islamic history, like the Damascus Mosque, the House of Wisdom in Baghdad, if these signs are always also being eradicated, then what is left from the early, early Muslims? There's no evidence of it and all that's left is like this impression of muslims you get now which are weakened are weak people you know people who are considered backwards or with back barbaric laws you know these are not the representations of islam that should be showcased it should be asking you know when the person says i say well you know you've probably been to the doctors where do you think the um the medicine the, the knowledge of medicine has come from it's come from works from the muslim empire so 
that is my um, podcast on the Umayyad Mosque. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been beautiful to do. Um, I've got my next one coming out. It's going to be kind of cl- kind of associated with um, the next caliph. Let me go back a couple of pages. One second. Bear with me. So I mentioned the caliphs in order. Right? I said I said that there was um, Muawiyah, who took the caliphate from Hassan Hussein to his son Yazid, who was appointed the caliph. Then there was Marwan and there was Abd, Abd Malik. Then there was Walid, who we just talked about. The next one was Suleiman. And the next one after that is Umar Abdul Aziz. Um, he's also considered the fifth righteous, righteous guided caliph. But Suleiman invaded a land called Fergana, which is in Uzbekistan, current day Uzbekistan. Fergana. Fergana was a protectorate state of a place called the Anxi Protectorate. The Anxi Protectorate was part of the Tang dynasty in China. So now when you hear about the Uyghur Muslims being oppressed, being put into concentration camps, being forced to eat pork, being forced to drink, the women have been forced to sleep with the Chinese men, they are the people that have that their, their history is documented back to what I've just mentioned, Suleiman and the invasion of Fergana. We're going to talk about that in our next podcast. It'll probably come out in the next week or so because I've got most of it ready. Um, just need to push it out, put it together, and push it out to you guys. So I hope you enjoy it. Happy New Year um, to all of my listeners. It is the third of December or the fourth or fifth of December, uh, January. Sorry, I'm lost, losing track. It is actually the. F- 4th of January and so I hope I hope that this year brings us uh, a lot of you know peace away from everything that's happened I hope you've enjoyed this particular podcast and I can't wait to get the remainder ones done and I haven't forgotten the crusade we will be talking about Richard the Lionheart we will be talking about Eleanor of Aquitaine Aquitaine sorry um they will all be discussed. They're all in my pipeline of things to do. But what you have to understand is when you deliver a podcast, you want to make sure it's all accurate. And if you're going to do a podcast, you may as well do all of the reading around it so I can give you all of the information that's relevant. And so that's why it takes that much more time is because I'm not pushing out a podcast with very little information. The Guy Fawkes one I did was quite a good example of just pushing it out. You know, not much research, just get it out. But when you would do a podcast like the, all the other ones, apart from the Guy Fawkes, it's some in-depth re- research done, making sure all of the information is provided to you so that you've got a clear, accurate uh, impression of what's happened uh, in that time. This is Mohammed Alamgir. I am your host for Islamic History 2020. And it's me signing out. I hope you've enjoyed Caliph Walid and the Mosque of Damascus. The Umayyad Mosque. Assalamu alaikum. Goodbye. Me signing out. Bye bye.